Welcome to Playing Yourself, The Rhetoric of Games, a podcast series produced by students in David Morgan's Play, Make, Write, Think class at Emory University. If, as Bernard Suit says, a game is the voluntary attempt to overcome unnecessary obstacles, then why do games continue to captivate our time, attention, and disposable income? In each episode, we choose one game to play with a critical eye, analyzing its rhetorical situation, the sorts of obstacles it creates, the types of decisions players make in playing, the values or ways of thinking the game encourages, and the impact the game has. We'll pay attention to the medium of games, as well as their messages. And ultimately, we come to the question, when playing a game, are you playing the game, or are you playing yourself? This episode is produced by me, Michelle Cho, and I'm here with my assistant producer, Jason Berger. Today, we're going to be talking about a pretty popular game series called The Sims, which was first introduced almost two decades ago, but is still prominent today. And for those of you who, like myself, don't have much experience with The Sims, we're going to start off with a little overview about what The Sims is as a game. So basically, The Sims is a video simulation type of game where players can control every aspect of Sims, which are the people that live in their own Sims world in this game. As a player, you can control basically everything about The Sims, including their physical features, personalities, careers, relationships, and every single action. Players tend to eight basic needs of the Sims, including hunger and bladder, and as long as the player continues the generations of the Sims, this game is never ending. And the game is rated for ages 13 and up, which is the main demographic of most players to generalize a bit. Um, it's really aimed at the uh, preteen and teenage audience, and a lot of the players tend to be female as well. And this demographic uh, may be due to the fact that around 13 or so, is when kids tend to discover uh, the difficulties of life and become a bit more autonomous. And with this autonomy, you have a lot of control over the game. Uh, The game really oversimplifies issues uh, and allows you to go through real-world processes, but in a much more simpler manner. So for example, with just the click of a few buttons, a sim can become a CEO or write novels, uh, while in real life, obviously, that those jobs and processes uh, take a lot of effort and have lots of steps to them. To get more insight about this game, especially for those that aren't very familiar with it, I sat down with my roommate, Katie Lee, to get her thoughts. Let's see what she has to say. So Katie, do you remember what age you were when you really played Sims? The summer between my 6th and 7th grade, I would play Sims a lot. Like, morning to night, like, every day. So were you like 12 years old, 12, 13? Yeah, 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 about that age. Um, So when you played the game so often, what do you remember doing specifically in the game? Like, what did you have the most fun doing? Okay, so what I usually did was (laughs) kind of crazy. I would have a lot of fun, like, making my sim, like, making the eyes and nose, making it super pretty or either really super weird looking. And then sometimes I would just play around and, like, see what would happen if I just didn't feed my sim or (laughs) kind of just trap them in a room. And I would just, like, play around with, like, death and sometimes I'd kill them off or or I'd, like, super age them so it would go from a baby to an adult, like, a super fast rate. Oh, oh, yeah, and I also would make my sims fall in love with each other and then have them get in, like, love triangles and then, oh, I loved stirring drama. Mm, I could tell. (laughs) 
So, what do you think you liked so much about The Sims? Like, what kept you going back to the game? I think what I liked most about it is that I could do whatever I wanted. Like, I could control them totally. Yeah, so you're, like, playing God, right? Yeah, basically. (laughs) Okay. So, last question. Was the way you played this game or treated it different from the way you played any other game? Um, I basically used a lot of cheats (laughs) when I played this game. Like, when you first start the game, they only give you so much money. And it's like, you have to actually play it and have your sims go to work and make money to buy furniture. But nobody has time for that, and that Mm. doesn't make it very fun. So, I had a whole lot of cheats that I would use, like, to give me, like, 500,000 sim coins. And I would use it, and I would make my sims need static so they would never have to go to the bathroom or anything. So I would just basically just keep on doing using them for whatever. I didn't have to pay attention to their needs. I also like played this game way more than any other game. It just cuz it didn't really feel like I was playing a game. I was just controlling my little my universe. People, my my universe. <laughs> I was like taking care of my my people. So now that we have a little bit of insight into how some people have been playing this game. Uh, let's talk about the framework that allows this to happen. So you've played this game a lot. Uh, what are some of the rules that sort of structure your gameplay? Well, rather than being structured by rules, uh, the players can basically do almost anything besides the actions that are restricted, which would be technically against the rules. And the actions that would be against the rules are things like purposefully killing someone or shooting someone which there are no options for. So basically, rules are ambiguous, and players can imagine whatever to be the rules and basically do anything. There are checkpoints that are technically kind of like guidelines that reward you with small monetary rewards if you complete them, but players aren't forced to. So basically, rules are ambiguous, and players can basically do anything. So operating within these guidelines, uh, what really motivates the player to be making the decisions they are? Like, what goals sort of drive them? Well, the goals of the player are honestly whatever they want it to be. Um, It can be to follow the small checkpoints that are provided, but those aren't necessarily the main focus of the game. So some players want their Sims game to be a successful life, like advanced career, healthy relationships, and good health. Or some players, like Katie mentioned, um, their goals can be to maybe like destroy Sims lives or just do strange things to them. Just manipulate them in any way they want to. Um, Or honestly, it can even be to just to build beautiful houses or furnishing them nicely without necessarily caring too much about the actual sims themselves. So this combination between having pretty lax rules um, and each player bringing their own motivations to the game allows this game to have a lot of layers of complexity, uh, which brings to light some pretty interesting complications and questions that we can get into. Um, First one that really stands out is that people tend to become really violent and really sadistic in the way that they play these games and things they subject the sims to. Um, It's a little interesting to look into why we may do this. So you played the game, Michelle. Uh, What are some of the thoughts you might have on this? 
Well, personally, I didn't really focus on these violent actions on my Sims. Um, occasionally, I would I would make them maybe do things that aren't common or aren't considered very normal in real life, like get married and get divorced a whole bunch of times. But I assume that similar to those that with similar to the players with violent or sadistic tendencies. Their actions could be motivated by the pleasure in not following the rules or just players can do anything they want. So basically not following society's rules in your own little universe can provide pleasure. Or even if your motivation isn't just to break rules or anything, there's just a natural sense of rebellion and just morbid curiosity. And this morbid curiosity doesn't just stay in the game. There's a whole network of fans out there who communicate in forums. Um, and a lot of things that always comes up is people sort of bragging about the like most twisted things they were able to think of within this like Sims world, where there's no real consequences and there's no real empathy with these characters. Um, so you can often find comments just detailing like odd things you can do, almost like a little like hacks into the game. Yeah, on the forum I saw that a lot of people did things like drowning their sims in the water or trapping them in rooms without doors or even tiring them out, making them super exhausted on the treadmill leading to death. But also there was one comment that was saying that the player would feel weird doing, doing those weird violent things to a sim that looks like them and has the same name as them, which I thought was interesting because that shows how realistic sims can seem. So there's a satisfaction in doing these things that you can't do in real life, yet they do seem so realistic. But also, it would be painful to do to yourself or someone you know or a sim that just looks like you, as that would be too realistic. Yeah, the game isn't necessarily trying to strive for realism. It likes to set up a realistic framework for you to work with at the very beginning. And then the second you get in there as a player, it really shows this electronic side of it where you can really do whatever and have like the full sandbox playing experience. Uh, so one of the interesting things about The Sims is how it toes this line between being realistic enough that it is a modern game that you want to engage in, but not being so realistic that it turns you off from doing all the wacky and oddball things that a player wants to do. Yeah, so overall, I wouldn't say that these sadistic actions, like discovering strange ways to kill your sims, is necessarily psychopathic or strange necessarily, just because naturally humans tend to be curious and we just use this game as a platform to see the results of things that can't be done in real life. Yeah, it's a bit in our nature to try and just explore something and see the boundaries to which we can push it. And so in The Sims, it's really the boundaries to which you can push the Sim characters themselves uh, to see just what happens and have some fun doing something so ridiculous that it's kind of entertaining to you. Yeah, and in making The Sims do strange things, you can see how humans are naturally also controlling and... In order to avoid problems and make things go perfectly, players spend hours and days playing a game that depicts a reality so realistic yet in the palm of our hands. So just to make everything run smoothly and geared towards the player's main goal, whatever that may be. And with controlling the players to doing these ridiculous things, 
It allows us to further remove ourselves from the difficult parts of life, even in The Sims. It seems to show that we don't really like all these nitty-gritty, grinding-type tasks, and instead prefer just the fun, silly, and outrageous ones that can entertain you like a good slapstick comedy. And in a lot of the gaming forums, you can see these sentiments where people seem to prefer The Sims 3 over The Sims 4 because they say that it has less complicated problems and the model it puts forth is a lot simpler and allows you to just sort of have some fun and not feel like you have to pursue any paths. So overall, especially to those that have never played the game, The Sims may sound like kind of a strange game, but this game brings out humans' natural tendencies and just and simply human nature and curiosity. Well, thank you, Michelle, for coming up with this episode idea and bringing it on with me. Our thanks especially go out to Katie Lee, who helped us with the interview and gave us some insights as a player. Uh, we'll see you next week on Playing